Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus in chapter 12. We read a moment ago Exodus 11, or at least a passage out of Exodus 11. Please turn now, second book of the Bible, chapter 12 of the book of Exodus. We've been in a series of sermons that we began a couple of weeks ago called The Christ is Coming. And we are seeking to highlight in the Old Testament texts that build up anticipation for the coming of the Messiah that point us ahead to the person of Jesus Christ and also anticipate something of His work on our behalf. As you turn to Exodus 12, I'll remind you, if you're familiar with this narrative, that God's people have been in bondage in Egypt. God has raised up Moses, a prophet, to deliver them. God sends Moses to Pharaoh to demand that he release God's people and let them go. And as God sends Moses to Pharaoh, God pours out His plagues on the land of Egypt. God is displaying His wonders in the form of a number of extraordinary judgments on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Now we come to the last of the plagues in chapter 12. God is going to bring one great and final judgment on the Egyptians, and it is going to be through the final plague that God delivers His people fully and finally out of bondage in Egypt. And in these events, as we'll see in a moment, Genesis chapter, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 12, God is going to establish a new memorial for the Jews. Uh, Indeed, what will be the most important memorial, the most important festival, the most important day on the calendar for the Jews, and that is the Passover. This will become the most significant event in Jewish memory, the night of the Lord's Passover. We just read Exodus 11. We see that the Passover is given in the context of divine judgment. It is also the means through which the Lord will deliver His people So please follow along as I read now Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, and then we'll move to verses 21 through 28. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood... And put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. 
This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Now please skip down to verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. Let's pray once more. Our Father in heaven, now in these moments, we come before your word. We come to you in prayer and in song, confessing the faith together. Now we come before the Bible and we place ourselves under the scriptures, asking that you would so speak to us, reveal to us your will, reveal to us your person, reveal to us your word to us. Speak to us in this time now. Come to us on the wings of preaching minister to our every need. We pray that you would bless us in the consideration of this text this morning. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Five things I want us to see here in the Passover event. Five elements that we'll consider one after another. The first is this. Notice the provision of atonement. The provision of atonement. Look at verse 3 of Exodus 12. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 21, then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. First of all, we have in the Passover event the idea of atonement, the provision of a sacrifice, the idea of substitution, one life for that of another. The Lord is going to pass through the land of Egypt. This destroyer of the Lord is coming and he is going to enter the houses and strike the firstborn dead. It is going to be a night of darkness and of judgment and of slaughter. And listen, 
There is not a single house in all the land of Egypt that is not going to be visited by death. Death is going to visit the homes of the Israelites as well as the Egyptians. But for the Israelites, it will not be their firstborn sons that are killed. Rather, God will be pleased to pass over them if they will kill a lamb and appropriate its blood over their doors. Death for the Israelites in their case will come in the form of a lamb that is slain. There will be blood. There will be blood shed for the Egyptians and blood shed for the Israelites. In the latter's case, it won't be their children's blood. It will be the blood of a lamb, the blood of a substitute, the blood of a sacrifice, the blood of atonement. And according to the Lord's word to the Egyptians, that blood will be sufficient in God's eyes to cover over the Israelites. And He will pass over them that no death may come to their homes. We have the provision of atonement, the provision of a substitute. Now consider with me, secondly, the promise of deliverance. Second element in the Passover event. is The provision of atonement. Secondly, the promise of deliverance. Look at verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Israel. Not only will the Israelites be spared death on this night, but the Passover event is actually the means by which they will get out of the land of Egypt and out of their bondage. The Passover will be the means of salvation and deliverance for the Israelites. This is what God is going to do finally. The tenth plague, the tenth wonder He performs in the land of Egypt. This will be the means of ushering God's people out of bondage in Egypt and to begin their journey toward the promised land. And the Israelites were always to remind one another. And they were to teach their children, this is what the Lord did for us. This is how He delivered us. This Passover event became the central event in Hebrew memory. And the prevailing idea is that of divine deliverance. For years thereafter, generation after generation, as they were to observe this Passover meal, it was to remind them the Lord delivered us. The Lord brought us out of bondage. The Lord made us a people. The Lord gave us the land. And they were to teach this to their children. This is what God did to deliver His people. That's why we read Exodus 12, verse 26. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Mom, Dad, what are we doing? Why, why the unleavened bread with the, the herbs? And why are we slaughtering the lamb? And why are we eating it in this fashion with our sandals on and our belts fastened? What does this mean? What's the symbolism of this? What's going on here? Verse 27, you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. My child, my son, my daughter, they were judged. But we, the Lord's people, were delivered. We were saved out of the land of Egypt. There is in the Passover event, number one, the provision of atonement. Number two, the promise of deliverance. Now thirdly, note the presence of faith. The presence of faith. I want us to notice that the Israelites were to do something. 
they were to do something. Of course, the emphasis of the passage in the Lord's words to the Israelites is on what God is going to do for them in wonderfully, miraculously delivering them out of bondage in Egypt. But nonetheless, they are called to participate in this event. They had to engage their minds and their hearts and their will. They weren't passive. There had to be an expression of faith in what the Lord would do. Thus, there were certain actions they must take. So Exodus 12, verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Look at verse 6. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. They were to mark the calendar. They were to keep track of the days. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, then they shall take some of the blood, verse 7, and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it, verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. What's going on there in verse 11? Simply put, they're getting out. This is going to be God's means of delivering them. And in faith, what God is going to do in delivering them, they're to pack up and get ready to go. Because this is going to be the Lord's deliverance for them. They were to believe it, and that was to be reflected in them packing up their things, fastening their belt, putting on their sandals, putting their rod in their hand, because God's going to deliver us tonight. He's going to get us out. Verse 22, take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the doorpost with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. What's the point I'm trying to emphasize here? You see, God required the Israelites to engage their faith in these things. They had to believe what the Lord had told them through His servant Moses. God required the Israelites to heed His word and required them to do as Moses had said. They had to slaughter a lamb. And they had to take a bunch of hyssop. Kids, this would be kind of an ancient instrument that would work like a brush. You take some hyssop, dip it in the blood, it would be like a paintbrush in, in, in that kind of a way. They had to take a bunch of hyssop, and they had to dip it into the blood and to appropriate the blood over the doors of their houses. And they had to stay in their houses until the morning. God is promising deliverance for His people, but only to those who exercise faith by actually doing as the Lord has said and putting the blood on their doorposts. If you were an Israelite and you did not do as God had said, your child would have been killed just like the Egyptians. They had to exercise their faith. And faith was exercised, it came to expression, by doing as God had said and putting the blood over their doors. Thus, to slaughter the lamb and to take the blood and to appropriate it over the doors was in essence saying, I believe God. He is going to deliver us. This isn't some wacky ritual here. Through these very things, what is pictured here in the prescriptions God has given us, I believe the Lord is going to deliver His people. And I'm expressing my faith by dipping this hyssop in this blood and putting it over the door of my house. 
So we see, number one, the provision of atonement, the promise of deliverance. Thirdly, the presence of faith. Now consider with me, fourthly, prominence of symbolism. The prominence of symbolism, a fourth element that we see here in the Passover. Look at verse 13 again. The blood shall be a sign for you. It shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So almost everything about the Passover event is laden with symbolism. With perhaps the blood itself being the most powerful and prominent symbol of all. The blood signified atonement and sacrifice. The blood signified deliverance and salvation. The blood signified substitution. The fact that the blood was appropriated over the door of an individual's house signified faith in the Lord's provision of atonement and His promise of deliverance. The meal itself was symbolic. The posture of the Israelites that they were to take while eating it was symbolic with their belts fastened, their sandals on, the staff in their hand. Almost everything about the Passover is symbolic. Hopefully you see that very clearly. Just two brief comments I want to make about Symbolism. Number one, symbols matter. Symbols matter. We're not a very symbolic culture. We tend to be very irreverent with respect to symbols, but there are still some symbols in our day that have some semblance of significance and meaning. Uh, there were a number of us. We had Emmanuel Church, Winston-Salem Dash Day, uh, Friday night. A bunch of us went out to the minor league baseball game. And what is it at the start of a baseball game that brings a hush over the whole audience and Causes everybody to rise to their feet and take off their ball caps, place their hand on their heart. What am I talking about? It's the, the national anthem, right? And of course, everybody got up and they stood and they faced the flag and we sang the national anthem together. There's rich symbolism in that. Many of us are wearing wedding, wedding rings today, which are symbols of our marriages. This wedding ring is not my marriage, but it is a symbol of a very sacred relationship with one woman, a covenant relationship with my wife. Symbols work in this way. We are going to observe communion together tonight. There's rich symbolism at the communion table as well. There was symbolism in these events, and God gives to the Israelites symbolism as a gift to their faith to help them to see in physical things, which have no mystical power in and of themselves, but in physical things, signs of spiritual realities, signs of things like atonement, signs of things like faith. All these things were symbolized in the Passover event. We see in Scripture symbols matter. But a second comment I wish to make about symbols is that symbols, symbols must be explained if they're to have any meaning. Symbols have no real meaning or significance to people unless this thing symbolized isn't clearly explained. Symbols only have meaning if they're explained. And you can see throughout this narrative how much detail the Lord goes into to explain what is being symbolized in these various actions of killing a lamb and of putting its blood over the door and eating the meal in a particular way. All these things related with symbolism that the Lord undertakes to explain to us. There are some people in some Christian circles who think symbolism is supposed to be subtle. I don't know where that comes from. Symbolism in the Scriptures is very cogent and very clear. Uh, it's not the time for us to put on kind of our aesthetic sensitivities and try to be very subtle about communicating different, you know, odd things. 
Symbolism is very clear. It's meant to bring to us very clear and discreet realities to our minds, and symbols are no good if they're not explained. During the time of the Reformation, this was one of the big emphases of the Reformers. Word and sacrament. Word and symbol. The symbol has no value to ignorant people. We don't tell them what's going on in the symbol. And so there was this effort to remove from the church all these incursions onto the life of the church, all this mystical symbolism that was more taken up with superstition than it was anything revealed in the Word of God. And those symbols which are clearly given to the church, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper, they were to be explicitly explained and explicated to the people that they might know at the level of their minds the intelligent truths represented in the symbols. We see that here in the Passover event. These symbols were to call to the minds of the people very clear realities, very clear truths that the Lord was working for them. Okay, fifth and final point. We've seen the provision of atonement, the promise of deliverance, the presence of faith, the prominence of symbolism, fifthly and finally and most briefly, the principle of memorial. The principle of memorial. Look, if you would, at verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, that you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Verse 17. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. That's another phrase for the Passover. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. This first Passover was to be a regular event, a regular memorial. And it was to mark the passage of time. And it was to bring the Israelites again and again back to this event. This was to be a memorial for them. They were always to look back and remember this event whereby God brought salvation and deliverance for His people. And they were to observe this memorial every year, and they were to tell their children about it. It was to be sort of a landmark in their experience as God's national people. The Lord has done something for us. There's there's a reason why we're here. God acted in a certain way to bring about our deliverance, our salvation. And it was precisely this event. And year after year, they would remember this. Call to mind through this ordinance, through this event, what it is that God had done on behalf of His people. He wanted His children to remember. Okay, now in the moments that remain, I just want to emphasize one point now. One point from this Passover narrative. We've looked at the provision of atonement, the promise of deliverance, the presence of faith, the prominence of symbolism, The principle of memorial. There's just one point I want to emphasize this morning. You can see it in Exodus 12. All that matters is that you have the blood. All that matters is that you have the blood. All that mattered for the Israelites is that they had the blood above their door. So you imagine two Hebrew men on the day of preparation. Uh, We'll call them Joseph and Jacob. And they're out there working in the fields. And Joseph, full of faith, says this will be the last day we ever do this, working under these slave masters. Isn't it amazing what God is going to do? I can hardly wait. 
brother, tomorrow we are getting out. We're going to be delivered. This is the last time we're going to deal with these conditions. Last time we're going to sweat like this. Last time we're going to have to listen to our Egyptian overlords. God is going to work a wondrous thing. He is getting us out. Jacob is not so sure. He says, I don't, I don't know about this. I mean, aren't you nervous? Um, I, I mean, such grand prospects. The destroyer, the angel of death is going to come. Oh, I wish I could be like you, Joseph, but I just feel unsure. I feel, I feel nervous. Joseph says to Jacob, well, well, brother, you've done what Moses said, right? You've, you've taken the lamb, slaughtered it. You've, you've dipped the hyssop into the blood. You've put it over your door. You've got the meal prepared. You've packed up your things. You're, you're ready to go, right? Jacob says, well, of course I did that. I'm not stupid. The Lord said his servant, Moses, to tell us what the Lord has said. I, I've done that very thing, but... But still, it just in the face of so grave a thing, God's judgment coming upon this land, I just can't help but feel afraid. Is this really going to work? Is, is this going to be what the Lord uses to get us out of? I just have trouble believing that that could ever happen. We've been here for over 400 years after all. And just by this, the Lord is going to protect us and deliver us. I, I just struggle. Don't you struggle? I mean, I mean don't you... Don't you fear this could go wrong or something might go amiss? And Joseph says, no, I don't. I believe the promises of God. The Lord has said that He will deliver. And He will do it through the blood of a lamb. And that is enough for me and my household. Well, then Joseph and Jacob go home for the evening at quitting time. They go to their houses. They pass under their respective doors under which or over which is the blood of the lamb that they had slaughtered. At Joseph's house that evening, there's a, a note of joy and celebration alongside a kind of reverence and sobriety. There are very reverential prayers offered up at the family dinner table. Uh, there's also joyful songs sung with the children around the table. And, and Joseph tells his kids what it is that God is going to do. This is the night. We're going to get out of here tomorrow. You're not going to go to the same places tomorrow. God's going to deliver us tonight. And they sing a psalm of praise together. And then when it comes time to go to bed, Joseph and his wife, they kiss each of the kids on their forehead. Uh, Joseph embraces his firstborn son in a special way. And he says, I can't wait to tell you every year after this what it is that God is doing for you tonight. And he tucks his boy in, he shuts the door, he turns on the sound machine, and he goes to bed. And he sleeps, the most peaceful sleep he has ever slept in his life. Over at Jacob's house, there's a different scene. Uh, Jacob and his wife can hardly talk to each other. They don't know what to say. They're afraid. They don't want to admit it to each other, but they're afraid. Could it really be that God is going to work deliverance for us through these things? And so it's very quiet at Jacob's house. And they sit down at the table to eat the meal, as the Lord had called them to. But they eat in silence. Jacob could hardly bring himself to look up from his plate at his firstborn son. He can't even look at him. If he's honest, he fears he could lose his boy tonight. 
comes time to go to bed. They tuck the kids in. Jacob's trying to sleep, and he's restless. He can't sleep a wink. And so he steals across the hallway and goes into his son's room. He says, son, dad, dad's going to sleep on the floor tonight if that's okay. I, I just would feel better doing that. And so he lies on the floor facing his son's bed, and he doesn't sleep a wink. When the morning comes, whose son is still living? Of course, the answer is both. Because what kept them through the night and what will bring them out of the land of Egypt with songs of deliverance is not the intensity or the clarity of their faith. It is the blood of the Lamb. All that mattered, all that got them through the night, was that they had the blood of the Lamb over their door. And when the destroyer, the angel of death, passed through the land of Goshen, and he saw that blood, he didn't knock at the door and decide to conduct an interview with Joseph and Jacob. Have you had your quiet time every time this week? I want to evaluate the quality of your faith. I wonder if you can recite to me the first words of the catechism. No, God was satisfied, satisfied to look at the blood of a lamb and to pass over their houses. And they were all delivered, all delivered. All the people of Israel, whoever had the blood over their door was delivered. 1,500 years later, and let this be our preparation to come to the table. 1,500 years later, Jesus is in an upper room with his disciples. Uh, Luke tells us that Jesus says to his disciples gathered there, I have earnestly desired to take this Passover with you. What a thing for Jesus to say. I've been looking forward to this. There's so much I want to tell you. There's so much I want to reveal to you. There's, there's more going on here than you have yet seen. I've earnestly desired to share this meal with you. And he reveals to them the deeper things going on in the Passover event. There are the same basic elements infused with all kinds of new meaning. There's the provision of atonement. He says, this is my body broken for you. There's the promise of deliverance. This is my blood given for the forgiveness of sins. The destroyer who comes for us, friends, is not an angel going from house to house sweeping through the land. It's the just wrath of God that comes against our sin. And what's the deliverance promised by Jesus? I'm going to forgive your sins through my blood. There's the provision of atonement. There's the promise of deliverance. There's the presence of faith. What does the Lord tell his disciples to do? Take and eat. Take and drink. They had to take and eat. It was an expression of their faith. I'm trusting in these things. The Israelites were told, take the lamb and slaughter it. Take the hyssop and dip it in the water. Put the blood above your door. 
Here now, the disciples are told, take and eat my body, drink my blood. There's the presence of faith. There is the prominence of symbolism. This is my body, this bread. This is my blood of the new covenant, the cup. Symbols, symbols meant to call to our minds eternal realities. And then there's the principle of memorial. Do this as often as you eat and drink in remembrance of me. Now, in all of the gospel accounts of the Lord's Supper and its institution, there is no commentary made of the presence of the Lamb. Like they were to eat the lamb in the Passover meal. And scholars debate what we should read into that. There's no mention of a lamb being eaten in the context of the Passover meal. But regardless of what we make of that, whether or not there was a lamb as part of the meal, it's not emphasized. It's not mentioned at all. Jesus is trying to emphasize that the lamb whose blood was slain pointed to him. This, the last Passover and the first Lord's Supper, is somehow pointing to the death of the Son of God on behalf of His people. It's all about His blood. And maybe it was that Andrew, the Lord's disciple, Peter's brother, could it have been then that he finally began to understand what he had overheard John the Baptist say in John 1.29. John the Baptist sees Jesus, so what does he say? Verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What a strange thing to say. How did John think to say that? Andrew hears this. It's a curious thing to say. He tucks it away. Could it have been here at the Passover? He begins to put it together. It was never the blood of bulls and goats that were meant to save us, but rather the blood of Jesus Christ. What matters is not that I take the Passover and that I put blood over my doorpost. I need His blood. Because see, we're in the same situation in some senses that those Israelites were. We understand with much greater clarity than they did, but the condition we're in is the same. All that matters is that we have the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was slain. All that matters for every one of us here is that God is pleased to look upon us through the blood of His Son, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And if we have the blood, we will be saved. And the wonderful news is, the blood is yours for the taking. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. Let me say this in closing, and then we'll come to the table. If I'm being transparent and open with you, sometimes I'm afraid of dying. And as best I evaluate that fear in my heart when it comes upon me, it's not that I'm afraid of getting cancer. It's not that I'm afraid of the pain of a car accident. I don't really fear the pain of that much at all. If I'm being honest with you, at some times in certain seasons, I fear sometimes that I'll close my eyes in death and what's going to be on the other side. And what makes me most afraid is the exceeding wickedness of my sin. 
the intensity of my own rebellion against God. And I wonder, will it really work? Will I really be saved? Will I really be forgiven? And I've prayed and I've asked the Lord when I find myself feeling that way. I say, I don't want to die like this. I want to die full of faith. I don't want to die with any fear. I want to die with certainty and assurance. I'll open my eyes in glory. Maybe you feel that same way at certain times, in certain seasons. What ultimately will see you through and bear you through is not going to be whether or not you were fearless in the face of death or whether you die at a high ebb of faithfulness to the Lord. It will be if you have the blood of the Lamb. The only hope that any of us have is that God will be satisfied with what Jesus Christ, our Savior, has done. There is no other hope. We have no other argument. We know no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. It is only through what our Savior has done that we can be saved. Only through the blood of a lamb. It would have been better to be like Joseph and to be full of faith. Be happier to not have these kinds of anxieties and these doubts. That would be better. It's best to have the blood of the lamb. That's all we need if we're to pass safely through. Let's pray together. Our Father, we have sung here before of the sweetness of trusting in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to plead only His promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. We long for that kind of faith and clarity and assurance, to know that our sins are forgiven through what our Lord has done. Give us that assurance, we pray. Lord, we thank You that ultimately our salvation is bound up in the wounds of our Savior and His shed blood on our behalf. Please, Lord, cause us, move in us to avail ourselves of that blood, to put no other confidence or faith in anything else than what Jesus Christ, the sacrificial Lamb of God, has done in our place. You have given us a substitute. You've made provision for deliverance and salvation, full atonement, for our sins. And Lord, You have revealed that You are satisfied to look on the spotless Lamb of God and to pardon us on the basis of what He has done in our place. Oh Lord, give us faith to embrace these things. Your provision of salvation. You move upon all of us to turn from sin, to trust in Christ, to be able to say in truth with all sincerity, that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. How we need the blood. Please, Lord, look on Him and pardon us. Forgive us. Cleanse us from every stain of sin through His precious blood. Give us the hope of that great and awesome question. What is your only hope in life and in death? That we are not our own 
but belong body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood. Give us faith to embrace your provision for salvation. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.